0: Hi there, I'm Jason Shulman, and this is New Books in Australian and New Zealand Studies. My guest today is Jane Persian. She's a lecturer in history at the University of Southern Queensland. She's here to talk about her new book, Beautiful Balts, From Displaced Persons to New Australians, published by New South Publishing in June 2017. Jane, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. Well,
0: it's great to have you on. So, Jane, how did you get interested in displaced persons uh, coming to Australia? Do you have a personal connection to the story?
1: Yes, I do. Uh, I didn't know anything about displaced persons, which is really why I wrote the book, um, before I met my husband, who whose uh, grandparents were all Ukrainian or Russian displaced persons. Uh, and really the spark for the book was talking to my husband's grandmother, um, probably about 15 years ago now, and her telling me a bit about her wartime experiences Um, And I just thought, wow, I've never heard of these people, this group of people, um, Central and Eastern Europeans, who came to Australia in the post-war period. Um, And I was a history student at that point. Um, I knew a little bit about migration. And in the post-war period, we tend to think about Greeks and Italians as coming to Australia. And so I hadn't heard about them. And that was really the impetus um, then for studying the displaced persons in my PhD.
0: Yeah so usually the story you know that we think of when we think of kind of the big migrations in the post war period is the 1950s Greeks and Italians who are these uh, displaced persons that you're talking about who are these these beautiful balts
1: so i think uh, the beautiful balts coming to australia the beautiful balts is just a nickname for the for the displaced persons it was really sort of their publicity name uh, because most of them weren't from the baltic uh, nations but the Department of Immigration um, wanted to present them all as being Baltic because they're, you know, very blonde, white, middle-class, uh, Protestant, so easily assimilable. Um, so the beautiful uh, displaced persons sorry, were the first mass group of migrants coming to Australia ever who were not British. So they're so, so important in Australia's uh, post-war migration history. We already had Greeks and Italians um, and really... The displaced persons opened up uh, the, you know, the demography of Australia to really welcome people who weren't British um, coming to Australia.
0: So before we get into kind of their story, how did you conduct research for the book? Uh, You said your husband's family was one of these families. Did you conduct interviews, do archival research? Can you tell us a little bit about what you did?
1: Yeah, so I started off um, thinking about it as a memory um, and commemoration thesis. So looking, uh, so I, I conducted quite a few oral history interviews, and was also looking, I guess, at the commemorative aspects around, um, for instance, uh, migrant camp centres in Australia. So there have been various reunions um, and exhibitions, and now you know, uh, at least one of the sites is is a site of. Uh, a museum memorial place, that's how I I sort of started um, thinking about displaced persons. But as it went on, the thesis and then, of course, the book um, turned into more of a mix with a political history because I felt that I didn't really understand uh, how they came to Australia, what uh, the decision-making process was behind that by the Australian government. Uh, So there was also quite a bit of archival research in there as well.
0: One of the uh, interesting figures in the book uh, was the immigration minister at the time, uh, Arthur Arthur Caldwell. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about him and and what the immigration policy was at that point?
1: Yeah, okay. So we're looking at a white Australia. It's a white Australia policy uh, where really um, only British people are wanted to come to Australia. Um, Everybody else has restrictions or there could be restrictions upon their migration. Um, And we really only see assisted migration towards British people in this period, uh, it was really about making Australia more British than Britain. Um, it's very much um, from the from Federation, 1901. Um, our you know so-called founding fathers had this vision of Australia as as white and British. So Arthur Callwell was really the person who overturned that, and he did it um, not as a revolutionary, <laughs> but really quite subtly making making um, quite small changes. So he started off uh, by setting up the brand new Department of Immigration. We didn't have one uh, before that. And so he became our first uh, Minister for Immigration. And he used this slogan of populate or perish, um, particularly after the Second World War that uh, Australia had almost, you know, perhaps been invaded by these, uh, you know, so-called Asian hordes, which... Uh, Australia very much uh, didn't want to be a country of Asian migration, and so we need to populate the country with people who are acceptable. So British people were not um, available in great numbers after the Second World War, and so Caldwell, um, who was com- coming from an Irish background, but also had an American grandfather, and he quite liked uh, the the American way of doing things, so which was not... British, uh, but welcomed migrants from all over Europe. Okay. So, um, he very much thought that was something that we could do in Australia so that they're still white migrants. They're not Asian, they're not black, uh, but they're not British either. So he's sort of, he's opening it up a little bit. So he was really with the support of his prime minister, who has been Chifley. Um, he was really the main force behind this. He just decided you know, he was going to change it up, <laughs> and then he did that.
0: Mm-hmm. You talked a little bit about the marketing strategies, so the beautiful bolts, and also this idea of the new Australians. Why did they, um, you know, officials think that they needed to, you know, market this this proposal, this program to to the wider Australian nation?
1: Well, there had been uh, some migration, and particularly talking about uh, the pre-war Jewish refugee. Um, intake of which there was you know hardly anything but what there was was uh, it didn't receive the best publicity in Australia so lots of anti-semitic coverage uh, there was also uh, some post-war intakes that were uh, Jewish or from uh, non European countries, um, and so the press would appear at you know at the ship when the ship's landing, take photographs and make disparaging comments about these people. So Corwell um, really wanted to get the press on side from the beginning. Okay, so he marketed the displaced persons, who were mostly our biggest group in Australia that we took were poles, but also you know Ukrainians, um, Central Europeans. They weren't bolts, but um, they were marketed as bolts, he said, um, this is a famous, one of his famous quotes, he said, there had been some doubt about the quality of these DPs who had the blood of a number of races in their veins. Many were red headed and blue eyed. There was also a number of natural platinum blondes of both sexes. The men were handsome and the women beautiful. It was not hard to sell immigration to the Australian people once the press published photographs of that group. So we see that that was really, really important to get the Australian public on side because this was actually a massive demographic change um, that he'd made, you know, sort of on his own. Um, and the phrase new Australians was also brought in by Corwell because he really wanted to emphasise that these were going to be permanent settlers, that they were going to assimilate into Australia. Um, so, for instance, Disparaging names such as refos for the Jewish refugees uh, would not be used against these people who were to be welcomed into Australia.
0: Now, this group of displaced persons that you looked at, about 170,000 from Central and Eastern Europe, what was the transition like? I mean, they had lived through the horrors of World War II. Now they have no home. What was it like to go to a country like Australia?
1: It was a big change in some ways. Um, I should just say that the that the displaced persons were very varied. Okay, so you have um, you do have people who had suffered during the war, people um, voluntary or forced labourers um, under the Nazis, um, but also you know soldiers in military units who were just withdrawing west and became displaced persons, and civilian evacuees. Um, you know, as I said, some of the Baltic people and some others were actually quite um, upper middle class. And so we're just escaping. Really, we talk about, uh, we think of the displaced persons as refugees from the Second World War, but really they're refugees from the Cold War. They're just escaping Stalin. Um, and so very, very varied. And- uh, we didn't take very many Jewish DPs. I think in America, uh, when you th- when you say displaced persons, you think of Jewish displaced persons. In Australia, we only took in this cohort about 500 out of 170,000. So they're hand Um, Not necessarily the people who've suffered the most during the war, okay, um, but they have lived in post-war camps uh, for, you know, two or three or four years perhaps. Um, and so coming to Australia... We immediately set up a camp system in Australia as well, which was just really for pragmatic reasons. We had a housing shortage, and this was a vast number of people for a country to look after, you know, so it was easier to to set them up in camps initially and then to send them to work sites. So they were brought here under a two-year work contract. They were technically refugees, but really we took them as migrant workers, as did other countries around the world, including, you know, Canada, um, and the United States had, had different criteria. So they're coming here initially, the, the campsite, um, was, I guess, more of a continuation of the same. So the ship had been in some cases, a bit of a holiday, especially for the younger people, um, been a bit of a rest, a bit of, you know, change of scenery, um, not so great, of course, if you're looking after a number of children and getting seasick. But uh, then coming in, into the camp, they're being looked after again as they were in Europe in that, in that sort of institutionalised system and then sent out to work. So you're sort of not really seeing them migrating to Australia straight away. They're, uh, they're being directed by the government for two years and so sent perhaps to work in regional or rural areas where they're not necessarily coming into contact with Australians. Um and so it's then then it's after that time period that I guess a bit of a shock sets in, <laughs> and learn you know learning um, the language and all that sort of thing um, becomes an issue.
0: Did native Australians fear that you know these new migrants were going to be taking their jobs?
1: That was uh, part of the justification for setting up white Australia that uh, you know the labor movement was very strongly opposed to migrants who would work for less money. Um, and we really wanted Australia to be a paradise for the white working man. Um, and so that was also what Corwell had to argue against, that these, uh, that they, I mean, this is a lot of people, yeah, 170,000 people, that they would uh, be sent to work in the worst places, okay, so the places where, uh, Australians didn't necessarily want to work. So the donkey work. Um I think Corwell has another great quote. He says he wants principally horny-handed sons of toil. <laughs> so, you know, they were sent to the steelworks, they were sent to work on the railways in, you know, in the desert. <laughs> um, they were sent to work in psychiatric hospitals, um, as labourers, they were sent cutting cane in Queensland, which is, you know, really hard manual labour in, in the tropics. So that was part of um, the justification for the work contract as well. So it was, we're in a period of post-war reconstruction in Australia um, under the Labour Party. And uh, so it was very much about setting up new projects. So we had the Snowy Mountain um, River Scheme, which which employed lots of displaced persons and other migrants. So it's really about selling their labour <laughs> as something that we can use and something that, you know, Native Australians might not necessarily want to work in these jobs anyway.
0: As the years goes on, you know, this cohort um, becomes more assimilated and integrated, and then they have kids. Uh, what happens with, you know, their identity? Is it is it a kind of a hyphenated identity? Do they retain any of their Eastern and Central European nationalism? Uh, what happens when they kind of, you know, when they become Polish-Australian?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure that I can answer it Fully, I don't think we have in Australia that sense of hyphenated identity as in, for instance, in the States. Um, what I found in my research was that a very small number of displaced persons kept up that sense of being part of a diaspora. Um, and this, of course, feeds into that Cold War dichotomy where, uh, for instance, the Baltic States and, and parts of Poland and um Czechoslovakia, Hungary, they'd all been sort of uh, absorbed into this new USSR. And so they felt that they were, some of them, a very small number, felt that they were here in Australia and in other countries in the West while they were waiting <laughs> to get their countries back. So they're very vocal. They're, they're part of that um, you know, exile mission, anti-communist uh, sort of atmosphere. And they actually have quite a, a large influence on Australian politics in, in that time. We have a, a split in the mid-50s in the Australian Labor Party, which was um, really from this sense of anti-communism that the Labor Party weren't anti-communist enough. So that's an interesting area of research going forward for me to see uh, exactly how influential the displaced persons were. Um, but as I said, that's it's still a minority. So we think that... Perhaps up to 80% of DPs never formally associated with any specific ethnic group. So, in fact, they were highly assimilable. Um, and that's partly because they're from lots of different countries and lots of different cultures to start with, So they and they're not coming to a base of uh, you know fellow emigres in Australia. They're having to start all over again. Also, they're being separated within that camp system and two-year work contract, and um, And so, I mean, it's probably a story that still needs a little bit of research done. Uh, But as as far as we can tell, most assimilated, for want of a better word, (laughs) um, quite well. But there was that minority that, that, you know, was was sort of waiting to get back to their countries.
0: Mm -hmm. Jane, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. That's Jane Persian. Her new book is Beautiful Balts. From Displaced Persons to New Australians. It's published by New South Publishing in June 2017. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.